A middle-aged woman, plump and improbably blonde, did see them go. She wiped at the trickle of blood on her forehead where a piece of the left taillight from the delivery boy's car had sliced open her skin, replaced her digital camera in a capacious shoulder bag, and steadied her shaking legs to follow. The two men walked a little over half a mile and turned down a lane that led to the beach. Here all was peace and order. A causeway led to an outdoor cafe on a platform on pilings over the beach and a table in the shade of a large marquee. They ordered chai tea in North American English, but the waiter, an elderly French expatriate, didn't think they were American or Canadian. If they hadn't spoken such good English, he would have thought they were Korean. He also thought they might be brothers. A terrible thing, this bombing, he told the two men in a placid voice as he set their drinks on the table. One lives and works one's whole life expecting these things to happen elsewhere, and then... He shrugged. A terrible thing, the older man said without inflection. The waiter looked up to see a woman hovering in the doorway with a smear of blood on her forehead, and he bustled forward solicitously. Her weight alone was indication enough of her nationality, and when she ordered a Budweiser, it was confirmed beyond all reasonable doubt. But her voice was low and pleasant, a relief. He seated her a table away from the two men, or, no, the two had been joined by a third. He would have returned to take the third man's order, but a group of German tourists chose that moment to arrive and push all the tables into one corner together so they wouldn't have to suffer the horror of sitting separately. By the time he finished serving the Germans, the three men had been joined by a fourth, and he marched back to take their orders. His murmured apology for the wait was waved away with a magnanimous hand by one of the newcomers, a younger man, clearly of mixed Eastern and Western blood, who carried himself with the assurance of one who had been born free in an Asian nation, which meant either Singapore or Hong Kong before the handover. He wore very good clothes, a loose weave jacket over a T-shirt and casual slacks. The man smiled at him, a charming, slightly crooked smile, reminding the waiter of a photograph he had seen of a young Elvis Presley. He sighed a little. The fourth man was Chinese, older, and there was nothing to sigh over about him. His skin was burned a dark reddish brown from years in the sun, his narrow eyes made narrower by folds of enveloping wrinkles, his hands calloused and hard, his arms roped with muscle. The younger man ordered tiger beer. The Chinese ordered green tea. When the waiter left... The Singaporean pulled out a cell phone and placed it in the center of the table. The phone rang. The older Korean picked it up. A pleasant voice, speaking fluent English with a thick East European accent, said, Mr. Smith? Yes. Your Chinese guest is Mr. Fang. He holds a master's certificate, has thirty years' experience at sea, and will be responsible for putting together the crew and acquiring and operating the vessel. We have the highest confidence in his abilities. Yes, Mr. Smith said. The Singaporean is Mr. Nortman. In your initial contact with us, you stressed the need for someone who specialized in cargo. Yes. Mr. Nortman is, quite simply... A genius with international maritime shipping. 
He is also a full partner in Mr. Fang's concern. Yes. Your fee was posted to our account in Geneva this morning. I believe this concludes our transaction. It has been a pleasure doing business with you. If you need help in finding the appropriate personnel for future ventures, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thank you. The older Korean disconnected and put the phone in his pocket. English, he said, looking at Fang. Fang inclined his head, as did Nortman. The older Korean's smile was noticeably lacking in either friendliness or humor. My name is Smith. He indicated the younger Korean. This is Jones. Fang said, I am told you need a ship. Yes, Smith said, a ship of a specific kind. How big? Smith slid a piece of paper across the table. Fang read it and looked less bored. This is an unusual request. Smith said nothing. Fang passed the slip of paper to Nortman. Nortman's eyebrows went up and he exchanged a glance with Fang. Fang said, Did you have a particular port in mind? Petropavlov's Kamchatsky. Fang was impressed and not favorably. It will be expensive, he said at last. The monies were deposited to your account this morning. You seem to be extraordinarily well-funded. Smith smiled again. There is always money available to pursue the cause of righteousness. Fang meditated on this for a moment. A crew of fifteen should be adequate. We will not be boarding in the usual fashion. A crew of five, enough to operate the ship, will do. I and my men will provide any additional help that will be required. A siren wailed in the distance and set the German table buzzing again with exclamations and murmurs. The plump woman produced a tiny digital camera from her handbag and asked the waiter to take her photograph, and then several more, just to be sure. Smith looked at Nortman. I'm told you're a genius in international maritime shipping. Nortman displayed no false modesty. Yes. You'll need to be. Smith told him why. And after your cargo has been... Delivered, Fang said, hesitating only slightly between the last two words. Provision has been made for the crew to leave the scene in a safe and timely fashion. Smith's smile was brief and thin. Nortman, if anything, might have been excited by the challenge presented to him. I will find you a ship that best suits your purposes, Mr. Smith, and determine how and where it stows its cargo. There is also the port. I'll need to study ship traffic and to monitor cargo movement on shore and off. He paused. If all goes well, I should have a candidate and a plan of action for you to approve in two or three months. If you have enough money, there is nothing and nowhere I can't ship any cargo you care to name. Smith nodded. Very well. We are agreed. Mr. Jones and I have an appointment elsewhere. He rose to his feet, Jones rising with him. Did you have a date of departure in mind? Fang said. Smith's stare reproved Fang's sarcasm. Proceed with your preparations immediately. I wish to be operational by the 15th of January. You're not giving us a lot of time, Fang said. But we are paying you a great deal of money, Smith said gently. Fang looked at Nortman, whose dark eyes were snapping with excitement. All right, Fang said at last. We're in. Heathrow, October 6, 2004 Smith and Jones arrived in London at 6.30 a.m. Greenwich time. 
ten minutes ahead of schedule and seven hours before their next flight. Time enough for a proper breakfast and to read the accounts of the bombing in the London newspapers. They boarded a plane for Moscow at thirty-five minutes past one, which was where the plump, blonde woman from the cafe in Pattaya Beach lost them. They arrived at Sheremetyevo Airport at half-past eight in the evening. They checked into a hotel for the night, slept soundly, and boarded yet another airplane the following morning for Odessa. The taxi driver delivered Smith and Jones to a nondescript office building near the top of the Potemkin Steps. They took a very slow elevator to the seventh floor, where they were met by a young, beautiful, and exquisitely dressed brunette who escorted them into a small but luxuriously appointed meeting room, with windows giving a sweeping view of the port of Odessa and the Black Sea. They were asked what they wished for in the way of refreshment. Tea, please, they said. Smith went to the window while it was being fetched. Jones joined him. They stood, contemplating the vista spread out before them. For the first time, I think perhaps it might be done, Jones said. It will be done, Smith said. The door opened and a tall, big-bellied man with a baby face and pale, thinning hair cut so close to the scalp he looked fashionably bald came into the room. His gray wool suit was exquisitely tailored. He walked forward with a bouncy step and clasped Smith's hand between both of his. My friend, my friend, it has been so long since we has met. Come, sit, eat, drink. He waved forward another man carrying a tray, dismissed him, and proceeded to fill the cups himself. A little sugar, eh? Ah, you see, I remembers. Peter, his friends forget never. He handed out cups. He bent a shrewd gaze on Smith. The last shipment is pleasant.